Am I a great designer? No. Putting a big ass 05 and FB on everything, that's not a great designer. I'm a great distributor. I'm a great marketer. I have a lot of celebrities that will carry in crates for somebody like, I remember when Flex was carrying crates for a guy named Chuck Chillout and you know what I mean I can call that guy I, I've been I've been helping with these three girls that can never get a show named the Kardashians or Pitbull or Lennox Lewis or LL or any of these people right um, I can market I can put it on people but you know what I'm going to do I'm not going to go out and create a whole fashion brand no much how much money I have why because if I create a fashion brand uh, that's going to take me at least a year to create a whole brand even when I was at the top of my game what am I going to do no I'm going to take a logo and put it on one shirt and give uh, Hype Williams or Benny Boom or somebody $10,000 to put it in the video, and I'm going to look at the phone to see if it rings. We sound crazy. Welcome to another week of We Sound Crazy. Phil Yanair is in the building. Claude Kelly is in the building. Chuck Harmony is in the building. But we're not alone. <laughs> we're not alone. Far from alone. We're at the Roots Theater here at the National Museum of African American Music here in Nashville, Tennessee. But we got a very special guest here today. I very would agree, special. yes. I mean, it's, okay, it's, it, the receipts, I want you to know, like, there's so many awards. <laughs> This brother's won, so I'm not going to go through every award, but I do want... It would take the whole podcast. It would take the whole podcast. The receipts. Yeah, we're talking about... We were talking about... You know, it's There could only be one. But he's the founder, president, chief executive officer of FUBU, legend. He's an investor on the ABC series Shark Tank, as well as a New York Times and Wall Street Journal best-selling author. He's a serial entrepreneur, but today we're going to talk about his new book. It's the children's book. Lil Damon learns to earn. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about this and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise. Damon John is in the building. All right. Good morning, Thank you. Thank you for taking some time, man. This is this is an honor. It really is. You, you. I mean, you, 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 you squeezed me in, and I, uh, I appreciate it. I know I'm on your time, and I know called last minute, and I, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. No, this is this is a pleasure. I mean, I, the first thing is that we're we're happy to have. You in the museum. We're at yeah. the National Museum of African American, which I know you you'll be inspired and love. Um, but this the whole purpose of this Roots Theater is to keep reminding people about the importance of Black music and Black culture. And it feels like it's been a long overdue for us to have a, a Black music museum, right? Yeah, for sure. So, um, what are some of your early earliest music memories? I'm just curious to know. Let's let's take it all the way back, right? <laughs> Ooh. Earliest music memories. Um, you know, so I am, I'm half Trinidadian. and um, Come on, West Indies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Jamaica yeah, in the yeah, building, too. Yeah, so uh, going to Caravana and, um, and, and Sulka and, um, um, you know, all, all those type of artists. I, I would spend summers over in Trinidad. Um, Mighty Sparrow and Calypso and various other things. Um, but then also coming up, and it's the, I, I, I always think it's the way that everybody grew up, uh, especially in our community, is Saturday, Sunday, cleaning up the house, you know, listening to, you know, Stevie Wonder or, um, you know, uh, Billie Holiday or, or any of those things growing up was just, you know, I don't need to tell you, it's the soundtrack of our lives. It was, it was the most amazing time of our lives. And, um, just a special moment of being around, whether it is around a table of gathering or uh, coming home from church or just those special times. I think I, I think I felt safe, and I think I felt that um, I was just I was just home. You know, I was home with my family. I didn't think of anything else in the world besides allowing the OJs to help me dream. Or, um, and of course, at that time, you know, coming up. Um, we listened to all music. I mean, that was, was was on the air. I mean, I loved David Bowie and you know Hall and Oates just as much as I, I loved uh, you know Miles Davis or, or anybody else. Um, and I happened to grow up in a very very musical town. Um, I grew up in a town where um, you know I grew up in Hollis Queens, and Hollis Queens is a very small uh, area of um, legendary legendary Queen, Hollis Queens, 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 New York. Yeah. Um, and at one moment, there was this devastating drug that destroyed our entire country. Um, and so we saw those, those are the images we saw of 
entrepreneurs. We, we didn't see any, we never really saw entrepreneurs at the time. I mean, because the entrepreneurs in the neighborhood, you didn't see them because they were getting up at five o'clock in the morning, getting their kids ready for school. They're going to their place of business, working until late nine, 10 o'clock at night, coming home, doing homework with their kids. And then on the weekends, they were trying to further their education, be around like-minded people. We didn't see them. And on TV, uh, I didn't see anybody African-American who was a businessman or woman. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I did see one guy, but it didn't look like Fred G. Sanford, the junk man, was doing that well, <laughs> right? So, but I started to see these other heroes. So I started to see people, these guys were named, and we've come from Hollis Queens, you understand that James Brown lived there, Run D, you know, but you know, I started to see people like Run DMC, LL Cool J, Salt and Pepper, and Tribe Called Quest, and some of the, uh, some of the fat boys lived there, and again, DJ Clue, and right now, you know, um, I grew up with Ja Rule, and then you have 50 Cents over here, and Lost Boys, and uh, Intro, and Onyx used to cut my hair, and I was- uh, You see how you just spit off all those legends? Yeah, and it's, it's, crazy. it's crazy, right? That's and, crazy. Um, and uh, Bimmy's sister, Deb, lived five houses down from me, and her son was Waka Flocka. She managed Gucci Mane, and then she discovered Nicki Minaj, and um, uh, I grew up in that day, but here was the only problem. I couldn't uh, rap. <laughs> One problem. <laughs> However, I could dance. And I remember if you ever listened to the song, Larry Love put me in the Cadillac, he drove me up and never came back. I remember that I auditioned for uh, to be a dancer because there was a, a space open on uh, the, the Fresh Fest. No, it wasn't the Fresh Fest, but Houdini's tour. And, um, and Larry put me in where I got the job to dance for Houdini. And my mother said, you ain't going on no tour, boy. <laughs> So some, some kid out of, I don't know, Atlanta named Jermaine Dupree took my place. Um, wow. So I was fortunate enough, and I, and I had, um, it, it was fun, right? I, at 14 or 16 years old, 16 years old, you know, when we find out the tour was going up and down, uh, the first national rap tour, so it was LL Cool J, Run DMC, Run DMC was headlining, of course. LL Cool J, it was um, uh, Beastie Boys, Fat Boys, um, Big Daddy Kane, and Public Enemy, and Houdini on that tour. So that's the, I, first, that's the first national hip hop tour ever, ever. Ever. So me and my three other buddies, because if it was up in Troy, New York, or Albany, or Spectrum Theater, we would be able to drive down there, um, or take the train or whatever, like 20 of us get into a small car and get down there. So because we knew all the bodyguards, because of course rappers weren't getting paid that much, so they're their bodyguard Mookie and this guy, they all live in the neighborhood. So we go down there and we, you know, they would get us in. And so I remember at that time what happened, my life was as big as Hollis Queens, but at that time my life opened up and I realized, wait a minute, people are making money doing something they love. And um, my, it, we were about 16 years or so, it was me, another kid who said, I said, I'm going to be the biggest in fashion. And he was like, yeah, whatever. Another kid was like, I'm going to be the biggest in, um, that time he was a graffiti artist, but he, in, in creating the arts. Another kid said, man, forget that, I'm going to be the biggest DJ. And another kid, one of my buddies was like, man, I'm going to be the biggest drug dealer. So... Um, you know, by 30 years old, I was FUBU. One of those other kids was Hype Williams, who was filming and shooting $3 million videos. He's going to be the biggest artist, super graffiti artist at that time. The other kid was a guy named um, Irv Gotti, who had um, formed Murder, Inc., so he became big in who he was. And our other friend became a huge drug dealer because Hype made the movie Belly about him, and he just came home one year ago. So it, it, it's amazing of my, my um, I remember my mother was friends with Ashford and Simpson and they would come over and I didn't really know who they were. Um, I mean, I didn't know the power of Ashford yeah. and Simpson at the time, but yeah, I, I, have, a, I have a great affinity for music. Um, you know, some of the greatest stars that I love are the people who helped me through rough times, Stevie Wonder and Bob Marley. Um, and, uh, and then rap became everything to me, you know? Yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. We sound crazy. What was that first encounter with hip-hop? Like, music, what, musically? 
The first encounter with hip-hop was uh, listening to a guy named Spider D, I think it was. Or somebody said to me, hey, let's go down a block because they're scratching these records. I'm like, what the they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to use these things after. What, scratching, what are they scratching them good them records? For? What? Yeah, we'd go out to Jamaica Park and all those rap acts and all come out and we'd pull the power cords out of the streetlights and plug it into the record players and radios and we'd break dance. Um, um, just a hundred of us and we'd be sitting there watching Run and DMC. And I think it was the first time really was Run, Run said, you know, we're going to treat the kids from the neighborhood. And on that tour, before I got on the tour, he sent a bus, and the bus then took us all up to the Madison Square Garden, and we went in, and that was the first time I ever saw everybody holding their Adidas in the air. Um, but, you know, my, yeah, but, but of course, I, I'm going back. I'm going all over the place. My first real exposure to it was somebody saying they were scratching records. And then I would, I would grow up and look at the movies Beat Street and Breaking and want to be part of it. And because I couldn't, you know, and I think that the reason why I've been blessed with this level of appreciation and success, I think if you read the, the, the book Outliers um, by Malcolm Gladwell, he was talking about how uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and, uh, you know, uh, two or three other people um, came up around, they were all around the same age because what happened was they were able they were able enough to tinker with this new technology, right? They weren't old enough where they had to, you know, they had responsibility, but they were not young enough where they didn't know what they were doing. And so every, you know, rap, rap wasn't played on regular radio. It was played only on one hour, I think, on Saturday, Friday and Saturday, uh, Mr. Magic would come on at 11 p.m. at night. And then also this little group, I had a, a, a college station in Huntington, Long Island named uh, Chuck D and Flavor Flav. And, oh, I forgot, young, D, young MCs from, uh, from Hollis, too. And, and that, you would have, you, there was no other way to get the rap music for the most part. I mean, if you had money, maybe you bought a Sugar Hill Gang, but you wanted to hear what Roxanne, what real Roxanne was coming out. You want hey KTF, whatever the name was. I forgot KTU, KTFU. I'm dyslexic. They're they're kind of battle back and forth, and MC Shan and and all that. So you want to hear the only time you can do it is then, and that's the only time you can record it, right? So I would stay home at night, and I, well, not stay home. I had to stay home. I was 12 probably, right? And I would uh, checkerboard my sneakers, and you know, put my sneaker, put my laces in water, and iron them until they were perfect, and then I re dye my Pumas to make it look like I had another pair of sneakers every week, and I would stay there all night and just wait to get those uh, that song, you know. And and now you know I got such fond memories. I don't think I've thought of them um, in a long time since this conversation. Yeah. Mm. Who's uh, you just mentioned a lot of a lot of legends. <laughs> Who's the most intriguing person you've met, and why? Um, I think it would be Prince. I think. Um, I used to hang out with Prince. Um, I'm not saying that casually. It was an honor. And I used to hang out with him, and the things he would say to me would be so fascinating. But the way he was, you know, I remember him. You know, we were, we were out one night, and he was saying to me, um, "I think there was a remember this um, this kid who had an immigration problem, uh, Elaine Gonzalez, or something like that." Elian Gonzalez. Elian Gonzalez, and yeah. he just something just happened. Like yeah, he yeah. just became like whatever. Right? I remember he was sitting there and he just took the name and he wrote it and it said, Alien, go home. And he wrote it and gave it to me. And he was always just analyzing every single thing that was around him. And he would just, he, you know, um, Griffin, Eddie Griffin is his cousin. It's funny. Eddie Griffin says, man, he says, he's, he's so fascinating. I've been around him all my life. He never looked at me directly. He'd just be like this. <laughs> but it's true. You know what I'm saying? Wait, um, I was I was today years old when I when I just understood that Eddie Griffin when Prince were cousins. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, they are. It's fascinating, right? But um, oh, you know, I used to be I used to be in my my mother's little hair salon, and I used to sit with this guy. He kept saying, "Hey, you know, this guy named Teddy Riley is going to put me out somewhere." And I remember growing up uh, after school doing homework with uh, Aaron Hall. Um. Uh, yeah, it's just I have a lot of fond memories of of the, and I always had appreciation for people because I could, I never played an, I couldn't play an instrument and and I'm a good singer but as you can see on the 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 mass singer I was robbed clearly <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be here with you right now if, right. Um, you know they would have really understood my we talents. want justice damn it yeah. we want justice for the, for the mass well, I feel like 
Listen, I mean, you you agree. You named off a lot of people, but you were always so music hip hop adjacent, right? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. I'm from New York as well, so there's a. There's Where are you a, from? Lower East Side, Manhattan. Okay, LA. So, so, so you you un, there's a uniqueness to growing up in New York as this stuff was happening and developing and yeah. taking shape. It's magic. It was really a magical time. So. What you did, you talked about the shoes and dyeing them every week and the laces. Like, I feel like now there's so. I don't want to say that I'm not complaining. There's, there's, there's a lot more, so you didn't have to be as creative. Sure. Now as you did back then about keeping sure. your stuff fresh and reinventing sure, yeah. yourself. And there's a lot of information on how to do it. Now. Right. Right. So a lot of that, a lot of that creativity, we obviously saw come out in different ways. Obviously in fashion, right, yeah. and which is also extremely drenched in hip-hop culture in every way. So talk about how your inability to rap, right, yeah. led to you finding other ways of kind of being a trailblazer and leader in hip-hop anyway. Yeah, I, I think that that is, um, th that's, that's exactly the point. So I couldn't rap and I was dyslexic. Um, the foundation of, of what I had created, which I'm not the founder of, which Carl Kanai and um, Willie Ware and um, Dapper Dan and Cross Colors inspired me, um, is something that, that initially came out of a skill because of poverty and not necessarily poverty, I would say. So, you know, when I was 11 or 12 years old and when you were breakdancing, um, because you love the, the movie, all the movies about breakdancing, so breakdancing and or... Um, uh, apparel, we we reinterpreted for the streets the way that we wanted to wear it, right? So uh, if you happen to have Lees and all those kind of jeans, well, you know, unlike wash jeans that are out today, they're very crisp. And if they were red, yellow, whatever the case is, because you're part of a breakdancing crew, well, we all know if you keep ironing them, well, you're not always going to get it right, right? And all you're going to get that is that fade. So now you go to the store, but I didn't have enough money to get a permanent crease, Put in it's a it's a really thin stitch just put in here so it makes you look like you have a crease all the time right and it keeps you on point right also if I'm gonna break dance you know my I can't have this flapping if they if they're making it too big so now I gotta take it in taper taper it on the side right so my mother's showing me how to draw those straight lines through those lines you know at ten or eleven years old because I was like I didn't have money to go to the cleaners to put to do that. Right, um, would serve me a purpose 10 years later when I would need to know how to make clothes. And why did I really make clothes? I made clothes because De La So, some, somebody else who had members from Queens, I saw them wearing a hat that looked like a, 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 a ski cap with a ball, but instead of a ball, it had two strings on it. And I couldn't afford it, so I, I, I made that hat. And, um, and it was the ability to sew the straight line that when I made the hat. Now, why did I make the hat and why did I start making these shirts? Well, because now these videos are being shot around my way. I remember, um, I remember, I remember Hype shooting a video called BWA, Bitches With Attitudes. Uh, it was shot in the neighborhood and they kicked everybody off the video set. I was like, man, I need to get on that video set. How am I going to get on the video set? So I started to say, I started to make the FUBU shirts to be like, I'm the stylist. Can't kick me off. And so I didn't really have a love to grow a company. I just wanted to belong. Right, so now I'm witnessing uh, LL Cool J shooting Hate Lover down, you know, in Queens, and hypos would bring the, it back to Queens, and and, um, and 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 I would be able to say, "Hey, I'm there." Or he shot um, um, ice cream at the Coliseum Mall. And if you look at that, Method Man has a Fubu hat on, right? Um, so that's how I started to really feel like I belong. Because now I'm on the set, I'm watching the most, my, you know, the people that I adore. The whole world is around, you know, to me, these people. And I'm actually, I have, I have a reason to belong. I'm, I'm definitely hollering at the, the women on the video. I'm, I'm eating all the craft services. I'm like, yo, you're not going to eat none of this, right? I'm, I'm poor, <laughs> right, right, right. but I'm happy. But, you happy. Yeah. but I'm happy. Um, you but, know, so I wanted to belong, and I was happy where I was. That's, that's the key, though, is what comes out of you wanting to belong. Yeah. And I mean, for everyone, really, like the, need, the necessity and, and, and trying to find your, your place in it leads to genius, which is what happened. Well, you know, it was hard. I mean, as I share with you, my buddies were people who would, um, you know, obviously go off and... Um, 
you know, and become large drug dealers. I had Supreme Team with a documentary about trying to trying to induct me. I had another people over there, and um, hip hop at the time, and even till today, to some level, was a very homophobic culture. Um, I'm a West Indian. It was a very homophobic culture at the same time. So you try to tell your dudes at 16, 17, you know, they'd be like, "Yo, D, we're about to go over to 1018, man. You know, we're gonna we're gonna sell a little something on the streets. You know, we're gonna go out there and we're gonna, you know." make some money. And I go, hey, you guys see the strawberry pattern I just got? <laughs> yo, I'm looking go at you home. crazy. Yo, yo, dude, man, when I go home and make these strawberry pattern shirts, be crazy. I'm caking. <laughs> they were like, yeah. They're like, Ooh, yo, damn, it's tripping. tripping, yeah. You know, but I, I was cool with, you know, who I am, and I don't, I don't have any issue over anybody's sexual preference. I was cool with it. But at that time, it, was, it, was, it wasn't that easy, but the good thing about it was they ain't have no strawberry patterns to get on the video sets either. So I was on, I was on the video set, like, you know, doing what I could do. I, I had access because I did not go with what the popular thing was. I was right. doing something I loved. That's a lesson for the kids out there. That's definitely a lesson. We sound crazy. Give me your top five hip-hop MCs of all time. You can't do that to me, man. You just, <laughs> you, you, you just hear what the man is from. Top five. I mean, you're being straight just, up disrespectful. I, that's why, that's, you but just might as well say, do I like Twinkies or Ho-Hos, man? You're just disrespectful <laughs> with this, man. What are you talking about, man? But, but, come on, Damon. You, you are, you've grown up around hip-hop. We're celebrating hip-hop turning 50 this August. 50 years. I want to know your top five MCs, I dead have, or alive. I, I can, uh, ooh, oh, now we did a lot. So I can only go off of what my experience has been. A lot of the younger brothers and sisters that I that today, I don't know them that well, right? That's fair, that's um, and I'm not going to go in an order, um, but I'm sorry that Rakim comes first as far as I'm concerned. I ain't no joke, I used to let the mic smoke Now I slam it when I'm done and make sure it's broke When I'm gone, no one gets on Cause I won't let nobody press up and mess up the scene I said Remember, that was a very special time in my life yeah, and right, that, right. Uh, But if I had the name of the time, I mean, you know, it, it's hard, man So it would be Rakim, of course The man who made me is called LL Cool J I want a girl with extensions in her hair Bamboo earrings, at least two pair A Fendi bag and a bad attitude that's all I need to get me in a good mood. And yeah, he man. was able to go uh, through three to four decades and still be relevant at the type of yeah. music that he was creating. Um, but of course you have Nas and uh, Pac and you got Biggie. I love Drake. I love Lil Wayne. I loved how everybody was being so sexy about how many times they're going to cameo on a record and, and little because they, they their creativity was so I, I'm going to hold it back and Lil Wayne said I'm going to go ham on oil. I'm going to go on 80 records this year. <laughs> go ahead. You, you, you want some more? I got some I got more of that. More for you. you know, so um, of course I love Drake. Um, and you know the hip hop artists of today. I'm I'm just I'm a little bit older. Um, I don't get to listen to them as much as I would like. And sometimes I just don't want to punch somebody in the face. You know when I'm. <laughs> I want to be a piece. Yeah, I just want to be. I want. I want. You know. I want to have my Exactly. You know. So Stevie's for everything and all time. Yeah, Stevie's for everything. Everything all day. Right. Um. But again, I named off a couple. But there was so many people like Fear of a Black Planet. When I was walking into the Greek Fest, and I, it was the first time I just walked onto Jones Beach, and I saw two or three people on these huge speakers, and they just said. The rhythm, the rebel. I was like, oh my yep. God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. You know, or going to sneaking into the garage, uh, you know, at um, on a Friday night and having to sleep behind the speakers so I wouldn't get kicked out and staying there all the way till Sunday morning and sleeping with my book bag on and and hearing, you know, that thing just come on and say, who's house? And everybody just, you know, stopped. So, um, man, I... You know, uh, I just, and then, I mean, and then I remember when we were on the tour, all of a sudden we make it down to Detroit. And at that time, I can't lie, you know, rappers in New York thought they were the only people alive. And they were very disrespectful, very disrespectful. And I'm just going to keep it real. They, I would hear them like in the mid middle America, yo, you Jerry Curl mother, what put your hands up. And people, <laughs> they had their hands up. And I was like, oh, all good, all good. So they ran into some Jerry Curl head dudes named NWA in Detroit. That and that and I remember going to my boys going, yo, there were dudes out there. They they were throwing bottles at the police and the police were throwing it back at them. I said, I don't want none of that. I don't want those problems. I was like, we ain't keeping it real over here. These cats had on, I don't know, dockers or whatever. This stuff didn't look clean, but these dudes had hammers. <laughs> 
Then we go down and we see, we go down and, you know, I didn't go down on this one. They moved down to Texas and they say, well, there's this dude down there that owns cattle and cows and land, uh, you know, and this company called Rapalot. And he, oh, and they're, they're like brothers. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I was like, oh, I never heard of that. But then we make it to Miami. And the first time I heard, don't stop, get it, get it. Let me see your doo-doo brand. You know, there's so many different crew. aspects of music that I just was, it, it just it just shocked me, you know? Yeah. And then, of course, then Atlanta came up and we were like, wow, I mean, oh, how could I not say Andre? Yeah, you know, Pit, Pit is one, Pit, oh, Pitbull is a good friend of mine. I remember Pitbull saying, yo, papo, nobody want to be beat uh, in, a, in a battle with somebody with a blouse. <laughs> he said, Andre. And then Andre said, yo, Pitt's one of the baddest dudes. You'll know he just decided to go pop, but yeah. he bad. Yeah. He bad. He said, you don't want to go against Pitt. Crazy. You mentioned LL Cool J, and, and one of the fascinating stories in your story is the fact that your first national campaign for FUBU, you spent zero dollars because your friend LL Cool J was able to put, put, you, put yeah. the company on. Talk to me about that. That's crazy. Yeah, so thank you. So LL Cool J had, um, he turned down other offers to, to be the spokesperson for us, and he had millions of dollars worth of offers on the table. He had a show coming out called In the House. Um, and he said, I don't know if you're ever going to make it, but I could never look at my community in the face if I didn't support you. Um, so I'm going to do this stuff for you. Um, I don't think you'll get anywhere. It's very hard out there, but... You know, I'm, I'm going to give you love. So when the Gap called him up, the Gap was trying to get into, the, you know, the the hip hop space, and you know, he basically claims the the he claims he was a little offended the way they went. Uh, the conversation was something like, yeah, whatever, whoever your name is, come on in, write this rhyme, and you know, perform the rhyme. And he's like, I got a I got a funny shaped head because remember that time LL never took his hat off, right? And he said, can I wear a company? You know, I mean, can I wear a hat that fits my head? I got a funny shaped head. They said, yeah, whatever. Whatever, Diddy. We know you're never gonna stop. Just come on in. <laughs> right. So, so LL performs this rhyme, right? Um, and basically, oh, Gap, da, 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 and you can pull it up anytime you want. And goes, Gap, uh, uh, for us, by us, on the low, in the Gap ad. So, remember at that time there were no social media. I think there was '97, '98. Uh, the Gap ends up spending thirty million dollars airing this, and I'm looking in the office. I'm looking at this thing on the screen, going. It's five weeks in. Nobody in that company, zero, not black, <laughs> nobody in that company, zero, knows what's going on. So five weeks later, somehow they find out what happens. Um, they pull the commercial. Everybody in the gap gets fired. Everybody in the campaign, everybody on the marketing side gets fired. Now, here's something that's actually brilliant. They do their homework and they hire a multicultural agency and they say, clean this up. And the multicultural agency said, yo, 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 I don't know, I live in the hood. Cats is talking about the gap. They go and do their homework, and the target market they were trying to hit increased 300% because the kids thought they can get FUBU at the yeah. gap. So they called me up, gave each other big old sloppy white kiss. crazy. No tongue. And <laughs> they end up spending another $60 million airing that ad. But I think the, the moral to the story is when you have a dedicated artist or person or partner who you don't want somebody who is being paid by Coke and drinking Pepsi. You want somebody who is living the life and really doesn't. And LL does not get enough credit for how many people he brought up in our community and in the world. Because at that time, there were very few LLs of the world, right? I mean, th this guy was platinum selling artist. He, he was who Drake is today, yeah. I would assume, right? TVs, movies, and you, you brothers yeah. know better than I do. You, you can, you can obviously tell me exactly what that level was. But it also shows another purpose. If you don't have people that work for you that look and think like the people you serve, then you know you're always going to have vulnerability, especially in this time, day, and time. You know, um, and I'm not saying that only as a white and black thing. I mean, listen, I don't think a black, I don't think a white man can make the best product, uh, hair product for African American women. I don't think. A black man can make the best hair product, hair product for, for African-American women, women right. I would think an African-American woman, woman would know what needs to go in there uh, you in hair. Um, but maybe that's just me, you know? <laughs> I don't know. What you're saying is all Bible makes sense. I want to fast forward a little bit because yeah, this, this is all leading to 
a very special book we want to talk about. But I want to talk about how your success with FUBU, which, by the way, as a New Yorker, I rocked it religiously. Oh, them long-sleeve tees. Come on, man. But I want to talk about how, obviously, that led to a very successful career in business, which has now made you a world household name as, as, a, as a businessman, right? Which I think is also... Thank you. I mean, it's such a hard feat because, I mean, it's, 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 it's one thing to come out of your circumstances, one thing to, to hit once, but yeah, that... Don't, don't start things to me. Don't start. <laughs> don't but start but I, I feel like longevity is a whole different thing and yeah. knowing how to, 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 to move with times and move with the different things that happen. So let's go from, 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 from FUBU to how you transition from that to I think people see you all the time on TV now with, yeah. with, with Shark Group, Shark Tank. And I think that just brings a whole lot of Necessary education about business. Is, is this where I do my pitch? I have a short You, you got to be on a pitch? Yeah, yeah, so, so there's four guys that host a podcast? Yeah. yeah and, I'm out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> no, he, said, out. he said, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> out, out. We didn't even get a good shot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, hey, hey. I'm just praying hard to get. I go low, you go, you go high. You know what I mean? No, but the, I mean, the question I'm getting to is like, is, I just want you to talk about that that next level of, of your career and what that has meant to you, but also the, uh, the millions of people that are influenced by seeing you as a business, successful businessman on television all the time. Well, I would only, I would be giving you a disservice if I gave you the warm and fluffy and stuff like that. It's yeah. been extremely hard in what I have done. Um, but I also don't work harder than any veteran teacher, officer, you know, person on the front line. Uh, I just analyze things a little different. And I, uh, so first of all, I'm dyslexic. I got left back in um, seventh grade. I never went to college. My father left when I was 10. I didn't have a famous last name. I mean, I do, but if I call Elton John to tell him I'm his son, he's not going <laughs> to believe not, me for various reasons. It might not work out well. Um, I, I, I got I got called nigger and abused by the people that were supposed to protect me. I got teachers who said I would never be anything, right? Um, I got arrested for being black. I've been through all the hardships and I've been through a lot of things that uh, we all been through, right? Um, so I always just looked at things with a very simple lens and no matter how much money I had or how big I got, now I made mistakes, of course, right? Spending a lot of money lavishly. I almost went bankrupt two times when I was broke one time when I had $10 million worth of liquid in the bank. Um, I had to learn financial intelligence. The school system doesn't teach us that, right? But I had to put my head down and I failed a bunch of times. So when you see that, so FUBU, I'm just gonna say something. So FUBU, I started in 89. I closed it down three times from 89 to 92 because I ran out of money, but it called me back. I wouldn't get public recognition until 97, 98. Then, Things happen. Planes crash, hit the buildings. People started to nest after that. A hot fashion ran last five to seven years. A kid, like all of us, they had, and we're not talking about the unicorns like Nike and Louis Vuitton. It had nothing to do with a black company. When I when I came in, Levi's was doing 18 billion. They're doing three billion now. I don't even know where United Colors of Benetton is or Alessé or Lecoq Sportif. They could be doing okay. But when a kid has four years of high school and four years of FUBU in his closet or her closet, when she goes to college, she wants to try something different. Her taste, taste has changed maybe, right? So I always analyzed this stuff and said, you know what, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do, I gotta look at me and take inventory of myself. Am I a great designer? No. Putting a big ass 05 and FB on everything, that's not a great designer. I'm a great distributor, I'm a great marketer. I have a lot of celebrities that will carry in crates for somebody like, I remember when Flex was carrying crates for a guy named Chuck Chillout and you know what I mean I can call that guy I, I've been I've been helping with these three girls that could never get a show named the Kardashians or Pitbull or Lennox Lewis or LL or any of these people right um, I can market I can put it on people but you know what I'm going to do I'm not going to go out and create a whole fashion brand no much how much money I have why because if I create a fashion brand uh, that's going to take me at least a year to create a whole brand even when I was at the top of my game what am I going to do no I'm going to take a logo and put it on one shirt and give uh, Hype Williams or Benny Boom or somebody $10,000 to put it in the video and I'm going to look at the phone to see if it rings. Mm. 
And then if it rings, then I'm going to run the line, right? So I started to understand all these things. I've always been a very simple person, right? Even as the young men and women that may be looking at this now. When I'm looking at Supreme Team and all these guys making money, I'm going, well, let me analyze as well. You know, an average drug dealer makes about $100,000 a year. In 10 years, that's $1 million. Wait, wait a minute, I'm sorry. Out of the 10 years, four to five of them, they're going to spend in jail. And the other four to five, they're going to have to look over their back and they're going to spend it on lawyers. Wait a minute, I'm making more McDonald's. So why sell drugs? So when I analyze things like this, I then I so so FUBU then starting to slow down. So I buy other brands, Crown Holder uh, did okay. Brought Ted Baker to the United States. I failed. I had to give it back. I didn't. They, I didn't want to open stores. I brought a company called Kappa USA, really well known for soccer jerseys. But soccer didn't take off. It's starting to take off now. I bought yeah, that in 2020, now. right? I bought a company called Married to the Mob. It was okay. Willie Esco did really well. But then all of a sudden, I hit with another one that I bought out of bankruptcy called Kuji. Kuji was known for Biggie Smalls and various other things. But I remember I couldn't get a Kuji sweater. It was seven, eight hundred dollars. But wait a minute, if I make jeans for a hundred, somebody's gonna buy it and the older generation's gonna go, oh boy, you don't know about that. And so I already have the built-in marketing, right? So then I'm gonna do that, right? Um, and then I started to say, why do I always gotta be the smartest person in the room? Why don't I do this thing called investing and bring in younger, smarter talent? I start doing that. Well, what happens? Somebody making a show called Shark Tank goes, hey, we need people in the show. We don't have African-Americans, and we need somebody self-made. We can't have an executive from a company. We have to have somebody who can help the entrepreneurs who are self-made, who, because nobody's going to believe a big music artist who's dancing on stage all day because that's their day job. No, it's not like today where, you know, you have a Kylie Jenner or a, a Rihanna. Let's go on the show, all right? So, um... But all the lessons I learned prior to that got me to the show because when I got to the show, the reason I was able to pass the casting of the show, not because, you know, it's still show business. I can have all the brains I want unless I don't know how to work the camera. It's got to be good TV. Right, it's not TV. So yeah. how did I, why did I have an uh, understanding of TV? Well, because when I would be on a video set with a Benny Boom or a Hype Williams or a Little X, when they're doing a camera change or a directional change, I didn't know what the hell was happening. So... Those videos took two, three months to come out. I got a video here and it's being shot or at a mid shot or a long shot or a slow-mo, whatever. I didn't know and I have to pay for that 10, 20, 30,000, right, to the artist. I gotta wait for a month. Mm. Well, no, wait a minute, I'm gonna go to New York Film Academy for six months, I'm going to learn how this is done so I will save time to ensure when I'm on set, when they say camera move, you know, you know it's always hurry up and wait. I know I got 20 minutes, an hour, two hours. When I go and look at the shot, I go, hey, guys, you're using the wrong lens. I'm not going to pay for this. Or move that individual up, mm -hmm. right? Or in the edit, here's what to do. Well, I go into Shark Tank. Kevin and Robert were already on the show in, 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 in um, Canada. They already knew how to work the camera. Mm -hmm. Lori was already on QVC, knew how to work the camera. Barbara was already a correspondent. But I also knew how to work the camera, and that's the reason why I made it past the cut because of that investment. So whether it was that investment of 10 years old, learning how to sew and stitch, that paid off when I was 20, whether it was that investment of going to New York Film Academy um, you know, in 2000 to then be able to learn how to work and pivot a camera or the spots and you know where the key light's coming or the filter paid off in 2007, all these were small investments that I made earlier on in my life to give me the ability to pivot and see opportunity and take the opportunity when it came. That's the definition if you, <laughs> you ain't got to get ready if you stay ready. Because I mean, he stays ready. It's crazy. Incredible. Crazy! So, Damon, you've written multiple books to date, um, but I want to talk about your current book, Lil Damon Learns to Earn, children's book. Yeah. For the kids. Yeah. For, the, for the kids. But nobody's going to ask me about where I'm wearing this hat. I mean, you see, I just thought it was a fashion statement. It looks good, so I'm a guest in your house. You being nice? <laughs> you ain't got a question when it looks when it's stylish. Oh, you know man. what I'm saying? It looks I, good. Well, I wear the hat because little Damon learns to earn. Thank you. Um, this is going to be what I want to be known for for the rest of my life. Is this this uh, this agenda of teaching and bringing financial intelligence to all of our children at five to ten years old? I said, "Why wear the hat?" Is because the kids see me on TV and they go. They're never going to relate to my $10,000 Tom Ford suits. They don't relate to that. that. That doesn't make any sense. But when I, I just left a school for uh, my brother's keeper, and the kids asked me, the first thing they asked me, you going to teach me magic? 
yeah, you know, an average kid leaves their parents' home at 30 years old today. I'm going to teach you how to disappear out of Karen's home at 18. I'm going to teach you how to make $1 <laughs> under $3. That I'm going to teach you how to do everything you want to do every single day of your life yeah. because you have that freedom. That's what I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you some magic. I'm going to sprinkle some pixie dust on you. Um, and uh, so the stat and the data is that especially in African-American communities, we, we know that there's some systemic issues that have been well... Um, um, implemented into us for many years, and we, we know that exists. That's just what it is, right? So we have a less chance of succeeding than most. Still the greatest country in the world, but there's just a reality of what it is, right? And it's fine. Have to deal with it. But as all Americans, we are still, our school system is still working like it was 80 years ago, where we are in the, in, we're teaching kids like the industrial age, like we need to build ships. That's why we give them specific trades, like shop and various other things, right? And, um, and or we teach them how to be good employees, but we are in the information age. So if we teach these children this type of stuff, but don't teach them financial intelligence, and then at 18 or 17 years old, they can acquire $700,000 worth of student debt for a career they're not sure they want to have that they won't pay off until they're in their 50s, well, right. they're setting them up to fail, right? And it's not that I have anything against higher learning. You absolutely have to learn. But the data today says that 50% of the kids graduating today will retire with a job title that doesn't exist today. That's that's like telling somebody 20 years ago, you're going to be a drone operator. You're going to be an AI expert. You're going to be a social media. You're going to be a pay-per-click. They were like, what the hell is that? That is, yeah. I don't know what it is. Right, so my job is to bring financial intelligence. Why will this be my legacy? Um, it'll be my legacy because uh, when I die, I believe my little girls will say, my father created a conversation in this country that made other celebrities, banks, educators say, yeah, we need to start teaching this. And when they see that the schools in Nashville are starting to have a higher level of uh, graduating and kids who are thinking outside the box, well, then Detroit's going to want to do that. And well, then yeah. Kentucky's going to want to do that. Right? And that's my job to create this legacy. And a lot of people say, why are you doing it at five years old? Why you not? Like, why not? You te yeah. You, you not? teach your kids sports at five years old? Right. right? Music, or, or you else, just yeah. put them on a, a, a football field at 18 years old for the first time with a big 400-pound <laughs> brick-eating monster chasing you over a football. And hope for the best. When you learn music, right. do you learn it at 18? No. no. You learn theory and you learn various things, right? Damon, I actually just gifted my niece. She's three. I literally, yeah. I show you the Amazon receipt. I, I sent this God bless you. just really because I'm big on financial literacy yeah, it's yeah, a big, for yeah. all the kids and nieces and nephews, everybody. But this is this is so necessary. And here's what's crazy. This is the only book that exists like this. Period. You see, if you have kids, there's something about money. It's kind of like how it works. But this shows you how to create. A business with friends, work within a community together, use each other's talents collectively. And unlike when I read, I read, I read Cash on the Rye, I threw away, why am I looking at this? You know, when a five to 10 year old, when they read this, I read it once. You read this every month to your child. The same way you can, you kind of tell your child, hey, if you keep lying like that, you know what's going to happen. There's, remember what happened to the boy who cried wolf? Nobody's going to believe you. Same thing with this. Hey, you want that, huh? What did little Damon's crew earn? earn to, what did they do to get it? <gasps> wait, 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 mommy, daddy, you're saying to me anything that I buy, I can sell? Yeah. Anything that I do for free, I can get paid to do? Yeah. You know, I got a, I got a six-year-old little girl. I am never going to tell her that I'm tired of reading princess and pony books. I'm not telling my little girl that she needs to wait and have a glass slipper for some prince to one day come around for her. That's not going to happen. I'm not going to tell her she needs to throw her hair out of a, I don't know, a balcony or somebody got to kill a dragon. And she's definitely not living with seven dwarfs. <laughs> I'm going to tell my little girl on how to create her own slipper factory, and I want the prince to come in and go, God damn, 
who owns a slipper rack? I do. And better, by the way, I got a job for you to open. It starts at minimum wage. You can work your way up, homeboy. You Hello? know, that's how my little girl's going to live, right? My little godson, that's you know? That's so good. But that's the truth, right? It's the truth. Every little girl should do that, right? It's the God honest truth. My, my godson, I don't want to tell him that webs are going to come out his wrist. I, I want him to believe he can fly. And when he looks at the Avengers and say, man, they, 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 they fought, uh, you know, Thanos. They gather together. I'm going to say, no, 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 no. I, don't want, I want you to think of your friends as the Avengers because I got with three other Avengers and we created something called FUBU. I then got with uh, four other people and created something called Shark Tank. We're having a whole lot of fun, making a whole lot of money, doing what we love. I, I want to teach our kids that. And this is something that parents can connect with their kids and do that with. It's so good. It's like it's so almost good. like teaching so the reality of magic. It is, and you know what? As any entrepreneurs, every time you have worked with music, and you didn't know if it was going to work. I didn't know this was going to work or not. And what happened? Became the number one book on Amazon for two days, and that is in the country, but it could potentially have been the number one book in the world for two days. Being the number one book in the world for two days on Amazon means. I can get them to open up Golden Corral at any time I want. I can cross the street <laughs> on green, yellow, and red. You understand the kind of privileges yeah, that that brings with me? That's crazy. But the book is doing amazing. I tell my wife I don't want to sleep on the couch. I want to sleep on the recliner. <laughs> oh, the recliner. You got choices. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So who's, who's, you got a friend with you. Uh, yeah, I do see a friend. Learns to earn. Um, but, it- you know, being the best book on Amazon is great, but... New York Times two uh, weeks in a row. I didn't beat the Easter Bunny. I actually bought one of those Easter Bunny books. It's called Self Destruction. But I didn't beat the Easter Bunny. But other than that, you know what this means? America has voted for it. That's that's what it really means. Mm. Right. All joking aside, America has voted for it. I'm right now on the New York Times. I'm the only human, and definitely the only African American on the New York Times in this category. Everything else is bunnies and crayons, and that means that people, no matter what color they were. They voted for this. Yeah, they were, you know, so. What what was the process of um, writing the book? Did it take a long time? Was it a a short process? How did did that work? It it took a long time, and just like I wrote in the book, I use other people's superpowers. I didn't think or know that that was going to be the angle, because I was like, I don't, I'm dyslexic. And by the way, eight of the 12 sharks are dyslexic, right? Um, But... I was saying, well, women are the number one consumers of books. I should write a book that's saying raise a family of sharks so a mother can kind of, you know, kind of instruct. Because women, people don't know, women are probably about 60% of the controllers of what money is done in homes. Um, they, they're the decision makers, right? I laugh about it, but when you think about it, up until the 70s, the car companies never realized that women were the number one dictators of cars, right? That's why they had all those muscle cars, right? But they didn't realize a mother either goes, honey, this is the kind of car I want at the home because this is what I need. Or a woman was like, boy, I really like that car. Man, I got to get that damn car. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it, I, I wanted to write a book like that for women and to control their homes. Um, but somebody said, man, make it a pictorial book because you know what happens? These big books you have that thank God have become bestsellers, they said, you got to work at that. You got to think about it. You got to read it. You got to be you're an entrepreneur like, or, or I did it already, or I don't want to be an entrepreneur. This one, and when I talk to people, this one, nobody cares about religion or politics when I, when I talk about this. They all can. They don't, I don't care what they believe in. They care in kids. That's it. There's one unifier in this country is that we care in kids. I agree. I want to, the book is for everybody, but, but specifically, as it pertains to black families and, yep. and black culture, we have a very interesting relationship with money and how we wrap our heads around it, how we deal with it as it pertains to people in our family, how we save it, how we spend it, how we invest it. So I, that, for that reason, I think it's a, an inter- a great book because I feel Absolutely. Like just starting the conversation. It's a conversation that we normally don't have or we have We're a afraid to have it. Yeah. We are. And why is that? Well, our parents don't come from legacy wealth normally. Right. So we don't know what's right or wrong. Now we have only in the last five to ten years access to all information. Yeah. But prior to that, I went to the check cashing place. Yeah. The bank was right next door, but the bank, as far as I'm concerned, worked for the government. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I paid, 
I don't know, by the time I'm done with money orders and all that, I pay 6% of my salary just going to the check cash place because I didn't know any better. I was happy they took my money because we always were in fear that we don't have a checking account and various other it's things, the fear. right? It's always fear. It's the fear. It's always fear. And, and there's justified reasons Absolutely. for it, 100%. There's historic reasons why we're it's scared. There's very historic yeah, reasons yeah. for it. And, and it's, but at the end of the day, when I started, so I, like I said, I think I said, yeah, I, I almost went bankrupt twice when broke and once when I had a lot of money. Again, doing my analytics and, and just seeing, going, wait a minute, um, stats are that 65% of athletes and um and a lot of winners are bankrupt three years after leaving the league. Um, so that means they didn't know how money operated. Mm. And 65% of the Forbes top wealthiest 1,000 people are self-made men and women. That means they didn't have anything. So it's not money. And no disrespect about these legendary families. But even if you have money, if you're not taught how it works... Mm -hmm. Well, then the kids who, and I'm sure there's many of them that are successful, but the kids who are the trust funds of the Fords and the Carnegies and the Rockefellers, why don't they own the Twitters and the Instagrams and the, and the, and the Teslas? Because the first generation makes it, the second enjoys it, and the third destroys it. Whoa. And it's just wait, 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 wait. Say that again, please. That was good. The first generation... Makes it. Second generation. Enjoys it. Third generation. Destroys, destroys it. it. If, they, if they don't know how it works, and nothing against that, right? Nothing against those amazing families. They have done some crazy things in this country, but yet they have built this country. Cool. Yeah. But I'm just giving you data. That, that's all I can, I can make up my own opinions. I cannot make up my own facts. Yeah. And, and that's when I learned that this... Information is needed. Uh, one of the things I learned growing up in New York City, besides just the fear of money, is is understanding kind of what you've led by example with is just is the resilience of uh, of not quitting. Because there's a lot of shame that comes in, in along with the fear of failure with money, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. there's this mentality like I got one shot to do it, and if I blow it, then I've embarrassed the whole <laughs> the whole family legacy, right? Yeah. Where a lot of my 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 wealthier friends who were not black had to understand that like this is money I can play with, and I can yeah. if I fail, I'll try it again. The same yeah. company, another company. Even what you said about Fubu from like closing it two or three times, and then and then finally seeing success in the late '90s. That's not really what I I learned that later. That you know that businesses have ups and downs and they close and you open another one. Bankruptcy is not key, the end the all be to, all. The key to a lot, the key to the, the key to the success about all of those things are, if you don't know about money, will you believe the number one reason why startups fail is overfunding, mm. too much money, because you believe to start a business you need fifty, a hundred thousand, right? So the reason why Fubu failed the first time is, I ran out of. $500. I was able to rebound from that. So taking affordable steps and what we've been taught or we've seen enough TV, go hard or go home. I'll give you an example because if you go and get a $100,000 loan, you, 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 your grandmother gave you, left you right before she died. She said, I'm going to give you the recipe to my cupcakes. And she gave you the best cupcake recipe ever, right? I mean, the family, this has been passed down three years, right? So you go and say, I want to open up a cupcake shop. So you take a $100,000 loan. Uh, you know, and listen, the cupcake shop, the cash register looks like a cupcake. You know, uh, you know, uh, you know, the design, the whole building looks like a cupcake. I mean, you spend a lot of money on this place, right? You, you, by the way, you never sold one cupcake. Um, and, uh, you know, oh, my God, you know, and, and the flyers and everything else, right? But then you find out, wait a minute, there's a kid next door to that place who has a peanut allergy. They got to square off five square miles because the kid, uh, you know, but you have peanuts in your cupcake, your famous cupcakes. Oh, you find out a little, another little grandma down the block in the church, she's been slinging cupcakes like crack for the last 20 years and you ain't going up against her. And then the kid with the software, every time they sell a cupcake, they put a cupcake in their pocket, right? Um, you are out of business. You have seven years worth of debt, right? You have uh, stress, financial stress on your home. You should have, instead of the $100,000, because you had a $20,000 website page, instead of that, you should have had a $1,000 Facebook page. Instead of a shop that you have a seven-year lease on, you should have had a kiosk on the weekend. Or you went over to some place who sells champagne, and you would have said, when you're doing your champagne tastings, 
here's my cupcakes on consignment. And we make bigger mistakes. You see, money often can highlight your weaknesses in a business. If you have a weak campaign, well, spending more money on a campaign is any better. You watch Shark Tank too much and say, I need to make $8 off the gene instead of $4. So you buy more inventory and it's no good. It's damaged. Well, now you have more inventory in your garage. Money highlights your weaknesses, and a lot of people don't understand that because the same mistake you made with 10,000 will be the same mistake you'll make with 100, with a million, with a billion. And that is the key to not understanding because people have the ego, like, I got to go hard. No, you do not. I worked at Red Lobster for five years while doing FUBU. Five years. You know? Some cheddar biscuits. Those were actually the reason I almost quit. Cats like you would come in and eat those biscuits, <laughs> drink a bunch of water, and bounce. And I was like, yo, biscuits I'm, tra- are good, I'm man. trying to get That's a tip off the check. It was like, there's no, there's no fee. Dude nah, just ate all the biscuits we, and left. And no tip. No. <laughs> we sound crazy. Hey, Damon, I want to go back uh, a brief to the, I think it was late 90s. Ubu had a record label. With, we did. With Universal, well, partnership with Universal Records. Like, yeah. many, I don't know if people remember, but I, uh, there was a compilation album. How was your experience as a label co-owner, that whole chapter in your life? It was vicious. Wow. Man, them cats and the record industry. No, nobody up here. Those We're like, vicious. <laughs> guilty as charged. Well, yeah, so here was a theory. Then I, you know, but I had a really great time. But we came into the game, but we profited off of it. We had a good time. And we actually released um, Fatty Girl with LL Cool J, Ludacris, and Keith Murray. Crispy your dreams, crispy your dreams. You're looking mighty fine in them jeans. And we, we had a, a new single also called Lights, Camera, Action by Mr. Cheeks. Hits. That's hits. Shout out to Big about. Dog, Charles Suit. Charles Suit. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, we, and, you know, we, we bring uh, brought in Vogue back. We did a lot of, uh, we actually gave this one guy his first three singles. Kenny out of um, uh, Atlanta. Uh, Kenny Burns out of Atlanta found this little guy named Little John who gave this us little his, guy. his first three singles um, out there. And he, they put on our other uh, crew called 54 Platoon. We had another song called um, "Play It." Fifty players deep out of Detroit with um, somebody. So we had a good time. The whole theory of why we did it was, again, me and my analytical mind. I'm like, yo, I'm paying, I'm, I'm paying six thousand dollars for thirty second commercials on MTV and BET. They're starting to blur logos. Wait a minute, I'm spending four or five million dollars a year on advertising. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'll put seven fifty on the album. I'll put another seven fifty in videos, and I will have three and a half minute commercials running all around the country. And then when you go into uh, you know a club, you will hear the song. You will automatically think about Fool. So the album did okay, um, but we sold eighty million dollars worth of Fatty Girl jeans, um, and we had a blast. And I learned that I don't ever want to get into the music industry ever again. <laughs> a lot of people say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot of people say it's that. Crazy. Is it? Is there a song that you can pinpoint that speaks to the entirety of your journey? Rising to the top. Rising to the top. Keep rising to the top. Give it all you got. You gotta wake up your money and wake up your money and wake up your money and move it around. Rising to the top, Kenny Burke. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, Bernard Wright was also from Hollis, but um, Kenny Burke, Rising to the Top, because, and I actually have a podcast coming out calling it That Moment. The reason is that as I'll talk to extremely successful people, just that what you asked me, I'm going to go really deep in that song that was a, a pivotal moment of their life. And I remember I was standing outside a place called the Encore, and I remember a very well-known, it's called a entrepreneur, it's called Supreme Team, which pull up with their motorcycles, and they had these huge helmets on top of their head and these massive gold chains, and they would walk in, and it would be... A guy named Grandmaster Vic playing, and he would keep going, do 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 And it kept saying, keep riding. And I just stood there, and I was outside. I couldn't get out. I didn't have any money. And I would just watch them walk in. And every, the lights were glistening off of them. And I just remember, now, I knew I didn't want to be in that world. I knew that I couldn't partake in that world. 
Um, so every time I was on my sewing machine, man, it was rising to the top. If you're, if you're from Queens, that is your song. But so if I'm stroking the streets, I'm do 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 You know what we're doing. You know, so rising to the top has always been that that song. You know that that took me right there. The Esther Roll Award. Most of the segments, but this one is, I think, the most is the heart of the matter, right? So it's called the Esther Roll Black Excellence Award. Esther? As an Esther Roll at Florida Evans. Yeah. Good yeah. times, Esther uh-huh. Roll. And the reason we came about Esther it is it, it, well, we discovered that she had done a whole gospel album. She did? Gangsta. On Savoy Records called The Garden of My Mind. Ooh. And so the conversation was like, yo, we didn't even, she's legendary, TV actress, of course, legend, 100%. right? But didn't even fully know all that she had been doing her whole life, right? right? That right. she was probably passionate about. So guys thinking like, man, we got to do better about honoring black entertainers, people in business, people that in the culture that probably don't get enough love because, you know, for some, one reason or another, there's one person that's stealing all the spotlight in the room or whatever. And, Spend some time during our podcast just nominating so they all get some conversation, but giving that award to someone who we feel deserves some love yeah, cool. for what they've done and haven't been received all their flowers for. So how it works is really we all go around and nominate somebody. We all vote, and then we decide who. Sometimes it's unanimous pretty easily. Yeah. But the, the idea is that we, we have a conversation about people that deserve more love in the community. With that being said, it's time for the Herbies. Time for the Herbies. And I have the vote, too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to vote. nominate and oh, vote. All right. Yeah, all you're right. part of this. Nominate. Okay, yeah, sure. You got it. Okay, let's go. All right, Phil, you want to go? I'll kick it off. Uh, this brother, he's done a lot, music, television, film. He's a good friend of yours. You've talked about him several times during this episode. I'm nominating James Ty Smith, a.k.a. LL Cool J. I like how you think. Because I don't think people realize how much he's done. Gangster. For so long. Because, I mean, to have started in the 80s and to still have hosted the Grammys and NCIS, everything he's done, but even partnering with Damon and actually believing and seeing something in that brother early on and saying, you know what, I'm going to use my platform to support you and what you're building. So... LL Cool J, my nominee. And, and, and I think he's doing Rock the Bells now, where yeah. he's giving portions and ownership to Roxanne Shante and wow. Cool Herc. So yeah. That, and, wow. and he's saying right now that, like all the other genres, who you go to a Rolling Stones concert, it's grandma, it's, it's dad, and it's kids. We don't do that. You are either old school or new school. You go to a West Indian concert, everybody. And he's saying Rock the Bells is going to show you how we are all going to rock the bells together. So again, breaking this the stereotype or what we're yeah, doing. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was going to nominate Hype Williams. Ooh, tough one as well. Because I feel you know? like visually and artistically he, he made how we all felt and looked and lived larger than life. Yeah, it's beautiful. And made, and made that something that the whole world could understand and emulate. And most people, the, the directors you know, Benny Boom is called Benny Boom because he was mm-hmm. the he held the boom mic on Hype Williams' set, right? Uh, Little X worked mm-hmm. for Hype Williams. Jesse Torero, Hype Williams' cousin. So Hype Williams put on probably about seven or eight of the biggest. Th- June Ambrose, uh, the June stylist, the worked, yes. for, yep. worked for Hype Williams. So Hype Williams broke so many amazing, um, you know, glass ceilings for us. Yeah, yeah. My nomination, I always have a soft spot for producers because I am one. So my nomination is the Dungeon Family that um, birthed Outkast, they birthed yeah, the Future, ATL. they birthed the Goody Mob and places, things like that. So I love I that. nominate Dungeon Family. Yeah. Um, you know what? Uh, you know, I don't know the, the brothers as well as I would like, but so that I do not 
get in between hype and LL, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to nominate uh, Ralph McDaniels um, of Video Music Box. That is so... Yeah. We were talking about him last week, yeah. dude. Yeah, yeah. for bringing... If for you were in New York and you didn't watch Video Music Box, then you didn't really know what was going on. Yeah, well, Ralph McDaniels having a show uh, almost the same time as MTV, being a community leader that stayed in the community and gave us all platforms, and every single music artist and rap for sure owes their... Uh, a piece of I love to, to Ralph for, for being that um, He's so iconic, man. Iconic, Ralph McDaniels. So just to recap, we got Ralph McDaniels, we got Dungeon Family, we got Hype Williams and LL Cool J. We're going to take it to a vote? You, everyone, you can vote as many, for as many people as you want, and the majority will, will win. It's pretty, pretty easy, but not that easy at all. LL Cool J. Show of hands. Come on, four. Anonymous. Four mics. Ralph McDaniels. Three. You're racist. I'm judging you right now. Hype Williams. Ooh. Is Hype watching? <laughs> <laughs> Dungeon Family. Damn, Chuck. Y'all haters. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel good with LL. I feel very I feel good. great with LL. I feel great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, feel I feel great, great about it. Congratulations, great. LL. Right. Cool yeah, Ladies yeah. love Cool James. Let's go. Yeah, That's let's right. They winning this week of the Irby. Let's go. We sound crazy. I just want to say again, how much of an honor it was to have this conversation with you yeah, in Nashville, in the museum, supporting, I mean, yeah, let's little get a close Damon up. Little Damon yeah, learns to earn. I, I, I got like 10 copies I'm about to send to my, my, I, I my little it, cousins. Man. Thank you so much, man. And read it every month to, to the youngins, the future sharks, and you know what after that? Give it to another family. Yeah, pass it down. Pass it down. We sound crazy! We like to end with the song that you feel, our special guest feels, encapsulates the conversation, the mood, the day, the time, whatever. So what song would you take this show out with? Yeah. Thinking of a master plan. words right now. Sorry about that. Fish, my favorite dish. Okay. Paid in full. Paid all right, all right. That's iconic. Make sure you follow us on all platforms at We Sound Crazy and WeSoundCrazy.com. Also, follow our partners at the National Museum of African American Music, BlackMusicMuseum.org, as well as Visit Music City. Thank you for your support. But thank you, Damon John, and thank you, Lil Damon Learns to Earn. Thank Available you. everywhere. Books are purchased yes. right now, online, Target, Walmart, everywhere. And where you can buy a book. Barnes & Noble is available. Go get copies. That's right. Thank you for what you thank doing, you. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor. Yeah. Till next time, y'all. All right. We sound crazy. All right. Cheers. Thinking of a master plan. This ain't nothing but sweat inside my hand. So I dig into my pocket all my money spent. So I just default.